For context, Jesus is about 30 years old here. Um, He has gathered some followers. Uh, Some of them, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, are friends of his. And he gets news of one of them. And he ends up going and visiting that home. It's a context where he's actually announcing something about who he is in the story. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from this place called Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the two sisters sent word to the Lord Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and their brother Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews in Judea tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he'd said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus, he's fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. But Jesus had been speaking of his death. His disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. But for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may may believe. But let's go to him. Then Thomas, the twin, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go so that we can die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was on his way, she went out onto the road to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. 
Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, Martha replied. I believe that you are Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had still not entered the village. He was still at the place where Martha had met him on the road. When the Jews who'd been with Mary in the house comforting her, when they noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not be dead. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He said. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad smell, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people listening in here, that they might believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off his grave clothes and let him go. Ollie. How to do this thing the other day. I forgot. It's too tight. <laughs> All right, let's, um, let's pray and then let's get into this. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that it speaks to us today. Um, thank you that what happened all these years ago uh, can happen to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know how to do this? If I was oh. preaching, that would be real annoying. Well, let's fix it. That is perfect. Thank you. There was a film festival in Launceston recently, um, BOFA, I think it was called. Don't know what that stands for. But I went along and saw a film uh, called The Future of Work and Death. It was, what's work going to look like with robots coming to overtake us? 
Um, and what is our prospects in death going to look like? Uh, and one scientist made this bold claim. He said, the first person to live to 1,000 years old has already been born. His claim was that somewhere out there in the world, there's a little, little baby who, by the time they're 80 or 90 and they've got a lot of money to spend, they're going to have technology that's enabled this person to live for another 900 years. Millions of dollars are being poured into research in the hope that we might be able to prevent death, that we might be able to push it away further and further to keep these bodies we've got going on longer and longer. Uh, And it's something common to all of us, I think, whether we're Christian or not, is just this inbuilt desire to want to keep living, uh, to not want to face death, to not want it to be true. Uh, Woody Allen, the comedian, the actor, the American... uh, He's not a Christian, but he said, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve immortality through not dying. I don't want to live on in the hearts of my countrymen. I want to live on in my apartment. Uh, And I think all people feel like this. On one hand, we don't want life to end because we're unsure what is to come next. Um, But also, we like life. We like living We might be able to hold off death for another week. We might be able to hold off death for another month, another year, another 500 years, if this guy is true. But sooner or later, our lives here on earth are going to come to an end and we cannot escape it. Death affects all of us. Uh, We flick on the news. People are dying. Australians, overseas, natural disasters, murder, war. Uh, Death is everywhere, but it's even closer to home um, than that. Someone we love is is dying in the hospital. Our husband, our wife, a friend, a family member, uh, out of the blue, someone we know is just snatched away, a car accident or some cruel uh, accident uh, or even act of evil. Death might actually be tapping you on the shoulder right now. Uh, Your body's old, it's breaking down, your days are short. Uh, whether it's in your own life or in the lives of people around you, we're constantly confronted with the cold reality that life here, as we know it, is going to come to an end. It affects us all death and it gets to us, gets to us deep inside. And in this part of John's Gospel, we find ourselves uh, with people like us, a family like ours, um, and they've been ripped apart by death. And on their own, in, in the face of death, they're hopeless. But as we will come to see, there is one who has stood face to face with death and has won. There is one who offers life that death can never take away. Open up chapter 11 if you close your Bible or you close your app or whatever it is. um, And look with me at verse 1. We meet this family. There's a man named Lazarus and yes, he's sick. Uh, It's serious. And it's serious enough for his sisters, Mary and Martha, to send a message to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. Jesus and Lazarus are close. This family uh, knows Jesus and Jesus knows them. And they're not just calling Jesus um, to say their final goodbyes. Uh, They want him to come and they want him to stop this sickness before it's too late. These sisters, they've seen Jesus do amazing things if we flick back through John, making a blind man see, making a guy who hadn't been able to walk for 38 years walk again. Uh, They hope that Jesus might come and stop their brother from dying, the brother they're about to lose forever. They're calling out to Jesus in desperation. Uh, He's their last hope. But he doesn't get there in time, and Lazarus dies. 
As we read um, over the story quickly, we can see how death affected this family. Um, And many of us have gone through the same thing, a family member of ours passing away. Look with me at verse 19. We see that when Jesus gets there, there's many Jews that have come to comfort Mary and Martha at the loss of their brother. And we've probably been through this. Um, When someone in our family passes away, people call, people send cards, um, people knock on the door and visit, they send flowers, uh, they want to comfort us. We've probably done that to other people as well. Look over to verse 32. Um, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's desperate. Um, Grief is ripping her apart at the loss of her brother. We don't really just look on at this family and say, oh, that would have been horrible. I think we know this too. We know what it's like to lose someone. We know what it's like to see death win. To hold their hand in the last couple of hours at their bedside, at the hospital bed, um, hoping and, and wishing there was more time, wishing that we'd done things differently. To stand beside on the grave as the minister um, says the sermon and you're not really listening because you're just beside yourself, knowing there's no more chats to be had, there's no more meals that you're going to be able to share with this person. Uh, We try to go on with life, but they aren't there anymore. Lemony uh, Snicket, the author, she wrote this, uh, it's a curious thing, the death of a loved one. We all know that our time in this world is limited, that eventually all of us will end up underneath some sheet, never to wake up. Yet it's always a surprise when it happens to someone we know. It's like walking up the stairs to your bedroom in the dark, thinking there's one more stair, and then your foot falls down through the air and there's that sickly moment of dark surprise as you try to readjust to the way things were and now the way things are. And you know that feeling, it's true. Uh, you know that people are going to die, you know people around us are going to pass away, but when it happens, um, it's a shock. We don't know what to do, Uh, we don't know how to go on. But as we read through the story, we also see that Jesus is affected by death. Look at verse 33. Um, When Jesus saw her weeping, when he saw Martha weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Jesus saw grief, but particularly he saw it in the family. That's what really affected him. Um, Seeing how troubled, seeing how upset Mary and Martha was, seeing how hopeless they were, and he was deeply moved by this. Uh, As it says there in verse 35, he wept. Jesus, the Son of God, the guy who claimed to be God here on earth, he wept. Death got to him like it gets to us. I used to work for a funeral company uh, when I first moved to Launceston and, and I, I planned funerals for people. Um, farmer from up the river, um, I'm a Launceston mother, two kids, um, a young dad, uh, he killed himself. There was uh, a salt of the earth kind of guy up from Georgetown and people used to ask me if it was hard, hard to do, hard that job. Uh, and it was hard, um, you know, being at the funeral, seeing the coffin, hearing the eulogy, But I think the hardest thing was actually seeing the pain and the grief in the family members and the friends. To actually sit there in their lounge rooms and look at their eyes and see how hopeless they were, to see how sad they were, that their loved one was gone, snuffed out. Um, They weren't going to see them again. They weren't going to hold them again. They weren't going to be able to love them again. And I know that you've probably been in that situation too. Trying to comfort someone... uh, 
trying to be around someone who's grieving like Jesus was, not knowing what to say, um, not knowing what, what can I do to really help them. And I think Jesus is upset because as he looks on at the grief of Mary and Martha, he knows this is not the way it's meant to be. This is not the way God wanted it. Death is wrong. Uh, It's not the way that God made our world. But it's the way that it is. Uh, Death exists because our world is broken. Broken and corrupted by us rejecting God and saying to God, we want to be in charge. Uh, We don't want you to rule over us. And death is the result of that, the punishment of that. Uh, And Jesus knows this is not the way it's meant to be. But unlike Mary and Martha, unlike us, who we cannot escape or stop death, um, Jesus can actually do something about it. At the start of the story, flicking back to the start in verse 4, Jesus gets this message from them, from the sisters. uh, And it says in verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified. Jesus is not shocked, he's not worked up. Um, He already knows the plan, he already knows God is going to do something amazing. And his first thing that he does is not to rush over there. I'm sure that at some point you've probably got a call saying someone is sick, someone interstate, a family member, um, someone down in Hobart, and you get in the car, you book your flight, um, you rush there to try and get there before the end. But the first thing Jesus does is he doesn't go and get the fastest donkey in Judea. Uh, He just does nothing, really. He doesn't go. He doesn't rush. Um, He stays where he is. And that's because Jesus knows Lazarus needed to die. And Jesus actually, he waits there where he was two more days to make it absolutely certain that that was going to happen. And he did this because he wanted Mary and Martha, he wanted his disciples, he wanted the Jews to be 100% sure that the man who would walk out of the tomb alive was well and truly dead. He tells his disciples in verse 14, Lazarus is dead and for your sake that's a good thing so that you may believe. Lazarus, uh, Jesus lets Lazarus die because he wants these people to see there is something far more amazing than just a healing that he could do, that he's done in the past. And when uh, Jesus does get there, and he does go, it's been four days since he's, he's dead. He's obviously dead. And Martha, like Mary, is upset. There in verse 21, look at it with me, um, she says, like Mary did, if you had not been here, my brother would not have died. But I know now that even... God will give you whatever you ask. She clings on to the hope that Jesus can do something. And Jesus plainly says to her in verse 24, your brother will rise again. Again, Jesus has a greater plan. Uh, Mary was Jewish and she believed that, yeah, all people would rise again one day. Um, But Jesus is not just talking about that belief. He's got something far more immediate in mind. He wants her to know that the resurrection is much closer than she thinks. He wants her to know that actually the one standing in front of her doesn't just have healing powers. Read with me verse 25. Uh, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Jesus is power over death. He is the answer to the problem that none of us uh, can avoid. That all of us are going to face death. Our lives are going to come to an end. Um, But with Jesus, there is life even though we die. But Jesus doesn't just tell her this, he proves it to her. 
Mary comes to him and Jesus asks, take me to the tomb. And in verse 36, some um, think they're just going there to mourn, to weep, uh, like everyone else would. Um, Others in verse 37, they're scratching their head, they're thinking, this guy healed blind people. He made uh, people that couldn't walk, walk. And he didn't even know those people. Why would he not have stopped his friend, someone that he loved, from dying? Jesus asked for the stone to be removed, um, which after four days is probably not the best idea. It's not going to be a pretty smell. It's not going to be a pretty sight. Uh, And then look what he does in verse 41. They took the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of people standing here so that they may believe you have sent me. The first thing Jesus does is he prays. But he doesn't pray asking God to bring Lazarus back to life. Uh, He actually just thanks God for hearing him. It seems that he's already asked God to bring Lazarus back. God's already answered that. Jesus has an extraordinary relationship with God. A relationship where they're on exactly the same page. They completely trust each other. And the Son of God knows what his Father has done. They're synced up. They're synced up in their plan about what's going on. And they're also synced up in their power. Raising um, someone from the dead, it's not hard for them. Look at verse uh, 43. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. When Jesus spoke, um, he spoke with the power of God. He spoke, and his words, they reversed death. Lazarus was dead, and now Lazarus is walking out alive. The final enemy, the one that none of us can escape, the one that humanity, no matter how much money or technology we create, uh, we won't be able to fix it. Jesus conquers it with a single word. And uh, Spurgeon, um, Charles Spurgeon, the British preacher, he said uh, once that Jesus had to say, Lazarus. Otherwise, everyone in the tombs would walk out. Uh, Whether that's true or not, it makes a good point. That is the power of Jesus over death. But what about for us? This is uh, is great for Lazarus. Uh, He's come back. And for Mary and Martha, they've got their brother back. But what about us? Because all of us are going to die. And where are we going to look? Where are we looking now in the face of that? All of us have family and friends that we love that they're passing away now or they've passed away. Uh, Where are we going to look? What are we going to tell people when they themselves are dying? Often our hope is placed in the wrong places. Uh, I read an article recently about a girl in England. She was 14 years old and she had terminal cancer. Uh, And she went to court to try and have her body frozen um, in the hope that in 200 years they might have the ability to bring her back. And the judge ruled in her favour. The judge said, yep, if you want to do this, if this is um, something that's going to give you hope that you might get life again in however many years, um, if it's ever possible, I'll let you do it. She wanted a chance to live again, this 14-year-old girl. Her parents wanted it. Um, And this was the thing that gave her hope that she can do it. But really, it's a tragic story. Tragic because there's 14-year-old girls dying from cancer. Why is that the case? We wish that that didn't exist. But more tragic, that her only hope was to be frozen and put on some slab uh, and left in a lab 
for some random hope in the future that they could do something. It's tragic because there really is hope in the face of death. Um, And it's not in medicine and it's not in technology uh, and it's not in leaving behind a good reputation or a good legacy or living on through our kids um, for and their kids and their grandkids, leaving an imprint on society, um, at some point, no one is going to know who Oliver Tweedale is. could be 100 years, it could be 200 years. I'll be gone and forgotten. But there is hope that we can live on, that death will not be the end for us. I spoke with a friend um, recently who I've known for a little while, and she lost her father when she was 10 years old. Um, and when she spoke of her father, she, her dad, she spoke with, with really great joy. She was literally smiling um, when she told me about him. Uh, the way they played sports, the way um, they went on trips together um, around Tassie, she spoke of how he really, really loved her, how he showed it to her that he loved her. But that really wasn't where her joy came from, not in the memories, not in how loving her dad was. Her hope lay in the fact that her dad was a follower of Jesus and that at the resurrection... Uh, of all people, uh, like Jesus rose, like Lazarus rose, her dad would rise as well. Death is its really a horrible thing. It's a painful thing and it affects all of us. But in Jesus, we can have joy in the knowledge that we're all going to die. We can have joy knowing that that is not the end. And death really might be, able to, might be about to tap you on the shoulder. Um, It might be cancer at 14, at 35. It might be old age. It might be a shock accident. You don't know what's going to happen when you go to the doctor next. You don't know what's going to come up. Do you actually have true hope in the face of that? Hope beyond that? Because if you don't, I think uh, you'll be enslaved to a fear of death. And so many people live like this. Um, And it either drives them to pour all their money and effort into trying to find a solution, a diet, something, some medication to keep them going. Uh, Or, on the other hand, it will drive them to fill up their life with fun and experiences, to make the most of the 60, 70 years that we might have. Jesus doesn't just have power over his friend Lazarus' death. Um, He's conquered all death and he offers all of us a life that goes on. Three days after Jesus himself was killed, something amazing happened that none of his followers or friends um, expected. He called Lazarus back from the dead, but surely if we kill him, if he's dead, he's not going to be able to call himself back. But three days later, they went to the tomb and it was empty. Uh, Jesus rose. He is the resurrection. And with Jesus, we can rise again like he did. And if you have Jesus, you have no need to fear death. It will be hard, it will be horrible, it will hurt physically, emotionally. But you do not need to fear that that is the end. That's the guarantee that if you're Christ's, you'll follow him and rise as well. Uh, Listen to his words again in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. But this hope, uh, it's not just something far off, this day that we'll all rise again with Jesus. Um, This resurrected life, it actually starts now. It starts before death. And in verse 25, he doesn't just say he's the resurrection, he says he's the life. And in verse 26, he says, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Uh, And I've been saying that all of us are going to die. I've said that like four times. Um, But here Jesus says, those who live by believing in him will never die. What What is he talking about here? Jesus wants us, uh, he wants us to actually have life, life to the full, real life now. 
life the way it was meant to be before we all rejected God who made us. Uh, And that is perfect life. That is life um, with God, with his son, as part of God's family. Uh, Later on in John, Jesus says this, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Uh, Eternal life, it's not some place, um, heaven with clouds and we sit there and have grapes fed to us by angels or something from we see from a movie. Um, it's a relationship with God and his son, Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. Uh, and Jesus brings that life to us now. That's what life will be after death. That's what it can be uh, for you now. And Paul the Apostle, he talks about this um, later on in Romans. Uh, in Romans 8, he says to Christians, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit. And if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Paul's saying that even though our bodies are going to die, and they are, we we know that, right? Um, I'm only 25, but I go for a jog now, and it's tough compared to what it was when I was 16 or 18. Uh, My body is aging. I'm sorry if you're a lot older than 25. (laughs) You know it better than me, but I still know it. Um, Paul says our bodies are dying, but if Christ is in us, then we have life. It doesn't matter how old you are, really. You have life, whether you're 25, whether you're 85, you have life in Christ. And how does this actually play out in our lives here and now? Um, Because in the reality, it's still tough. Life is still tough. We still experience pain. Uh, We still get sad about the loved ones that we lose. Uh, Our bodies are still failing us. Um, Mary Roach, and she's she's an American author, she wrote that, I don't fear death so much, she's not a Christian, but she wrote, I don't fear death so much as much as I fear its prologues, loneliness, pain, debilitation, depression, I'm going senile. After a few years of those, I imagine death presents like a holiday at the beach. And she's got a point. Uh, Just because Jesus says, you will rise again if you believe in me, that doesn't mean it's not hard here and now. And I was having lunch with a friend the other day, and he's at a tough time in his life. Um, His father's dying, he's an alcoholic, his father, he lives in housing commission, he doesn't have any money, he doesn't have any assets, he doesn't have any family that care about him. Uh, And my friend, his life is tough, he has no job, Uh, He can't hold one down. He isn't married. He's got no children. Most of his family uh, don't really want to know him. And as we talked, um, he said to me that he realised he's basically going down the exact same path that his father has gone down. He said, I'm going to end up like my father in 10 years, and I don't want that. And I've talked to this guy about God lots, actually, um, and I brought it up again, knowing that I think his only hope is Jesus. Um, But he looked at me and said, yeah, I get that you think you're going to go and be with God one day, but what about me now? What about my life now? Uh, What's Jesus going to do about that? And I think a lot of people are asking this question, and we we are too. It's not just eternity. What about the things now? But Jesus is saying here that he does offer life now, um, new life. And it's not just a fresh start to have another go to try and get life right and make up for our mistakes. It's different. Um, it's, it's life with Jesus. Uh, like David said, I've been seeing these dawns lately, going for a walk in the morning, um, pretty early, and 
when we do see the sunrise, we see, yes, those first bits of light start to pop through. And when we see that, we know that soon uh, the darkness is going to be completely gone and uncovered. The sun will be there in all its fullness. And that's a bit like the life that Jesus is talking about now. We see the resurrected life to come, breaking into our life here and now. We don't see it perfectly, we don't see it fully, there's still darkness, there's still pain, um, but we know that it's coming. I was just trying to think about, yeah, the things have changed in my life since I actually have got life with Jesus. Uh, A church, you know, people that I can spend time with and that love me and that want me to grow um, and want to serve me and I can serve them. Um, God's word that I can grow in and that makes me more like Jesus. Uh, the fact that my sin has been taken away, even though I've done so many things that I regret. Um, the peace of knowing that God loves me, no matter what I've done, and that he's going to bring me to himself, and being able to talk to him about that. No longer having fear in death. These are the beams of light that are breaking into our lives now, and that are available now. There's still suffering and pain, uh, and all that, and that will be there. But one day those things will be gone, one day we will rise Um, and experience the life that we have now as believers, the life that's on offer completely and fully. We live in a transit between this life and the life to come. There was a guy in England, he did street preaching, and one day a guy asked him to prove that heaven was real. And he looked at him and he said, my dear fellow, I live there. And you can see his point. Heaven is eternal life, knowing God through his son Jesus, and we can have that now. Jesus made pretty big claims here. He's claimed that there's life after death, perfect life, and he's claimed that that life actually can start now, and it does start now. And the Bible says that we're all going to die and then face judgment. And on our own, that is going to be utterly miserable and hopeless. Both the dying part, but also the judgment, when we do that on our own. Our rebellion against God will be made clear and we will be condemned. Um, On our own, death is frightening. Life is actually frightening, not knowing what's to come, not knowing how to get through. Um, There is no hope for someone who stands before God without Jesus. But there is certain hope in Jesus. The Bible says that he took our place on the cross and the Bible says he will come back, not to die again, but to bring salvation for those who are waiting for him. And what side are you on? Are you waiting in the face of death with Jesus? Or are you waiting on your own with no hope? Do you have life here and now? Life the way it was meant to be. Life with God and his son Jesus. He's made it pretty clear here. I am the resurrection and the life. He's not trying to trick us. Um, If we want life now, life the way it was meant to be, if we want resurrection when we die, then we must believe and trust ourselves to him as our king. He shows here uh, that he is the glory of God on earth. Look there at verse 40. He said to them, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? We see the glory of God on earth in his son, Jesus. He's the answer to death. And no man-made cure is ever going to finish off death. No experience or fun is ever really going to fulfill us in this life. But if we stake our life on Jesus, if we stake our life on him, we can experience life to the full now. And if we have life with Jesus now, by trusting in him, by staking our life on him, we have life forever. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. And there's something common to all of us, that we are all going to die. 
And without you, that is hopeless. Uh, But with you, Lord, we have sure and certain uh, guarantee that as you rose out of that tomb, we will also rise with you. Um, But Lord, we experience this, we can experience it now. Uh, Life to the full with you here on earth, um, with each other, uh, with you, our relationship, even though we're sinful and even though we've rejected you, there is forgiveness in Jesus and life here and now. So we pray, Lord, help us to trust you, help us to believe, help us to stake our life on you and on nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen.